2: Oh, am chaos. And, and our happiness is egg shaped. Happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end. No, 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 This last night and he
3: said
2: happiness is egg shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg shaped. Happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end.
0: Hello and welcome to the Happinesses Podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, and I am very excited today to have... A mate, actually, somebody that I've got to know over the last few years, former Scotland international and try scoring machine, and a man who is absolutely mad as a box of frogs. But having played for Harlequins down south and with Quins in the Prem Final on Saturday, who better to come and give us a bit of totally ill informed insight? The one and the only, the mad Dutchman, Mr. Tim Visser.
2: What an introduction. Does it get crazier than that or not? <laughs> I think mate's probably a big word, but yes, we know each other. Yeah, well, okay. yeah. did
0: you know? I hesitated over that one. I thought, I wonder where to yeah, go with that because it makes yeah, me I sound see. like a competition winner. Yeah, that's
2: nice. I like it.
0: <laughs> so, you are the crazy Dutchman. Have you been watching the football?
2: Uh, no, actually, I haven't. I'm not a huge rug- uh, sorry football fan. Uh, I am a bit of a rugby fan, um, but uh, I've kept an eye on uh, the Scotland scores, obviously, and uh, the Holland scores because I'm obviously fairly divided. I actually would always support um, Holland in football because they are just so much better, uh, and I would always support um, Scotland in rugby because they are so much better. Um, so, but yeah, you're a glory hunter. You're a glory, yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, I've always been a glory. I mean, I think I thought you'd know that about me by now. Um, yeah, I think Holland, from what I gather, are doing really well, and Scotland are struggling. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. But we're not not here to talk about that. I just thought you might might be able to dazzle me with a bit of Johan Cruyff, Marco van Basten knowledge there. Nothing, 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 nothing. And life now, rugby's finished. What do you find yourself doing and filling your hours with?
2: Looking at the ceiling a lot of the time. Uh, no, I do. I'm a property developer nowadays. Uh, so we do at the moment. We're doing commercial conversions. So uh, sadly, a lot of um, restaurants and bars are going bust. But uh, good for me, we are turning them into beautiful apartments. And um, you know, with there not being enough um, places to live for people still in the UK, uh, I think it's actually a, quite a noble goal.
0: yeah okay yeah, yeah we've okay. got our modern day Robin Hood right there here Giving
2: it to the poor there we go <laughs> no uh, absolutely not but no it is um it is quite cool because there is a lot of uh you know nice commercial spacious spaces in the Edinburgh city center which uh sadly just aren't sustainable and um you know we need more place for people to live so We get to turn these uh, beautiful, uh, sometimes listed buildings uh, into or back into uh, nice apartments and houses and whatever else. So it's um, it's sometimes really good fun when things are done and it's sometimes really horrible when you come in and it is disgusting in there.
0: Have you got a hard hat and a high vis vest? I had a
2: hard hat, but they didn't fit on my dome very well, so I got rid of that pretty quickly. Um, the The vis, the, the vests don't make much of a difference either. The, the guys are running around me, breaking stuff down, and I'm standing there, and they just they basically tell me to go away because I'm just standing in the way.
0: Yeah, you're you're the clipboard kind of guy.
2: i should be the guy that tells people what to do but i end up being told to go away because they know better than me anyway so uh no it's uh it's been a big learning curve over the last two years but uh yeah it's been it's been really good fun
0: and how's the body now that you've given up rugby
2: uh better in some ways and much worse in other ways um I think better, like knees and joints and back, much better not having to run around all day long and lift weights and and get tackled and all the likes. Um, but if, I mean, like anyone else in the in the real world will know, uh, you know, fitness and fat fat percentages go up and fitness goes down very quickly. So um, yeah, I'm trying to keep fit. I uh, I do a lot of a lot of stuff with David Denton because he lives nearby and is obviously retired as well. So we um, we go to the gym. Try not to spend too much time in there and then go to the jacuzzi. Um, what else do we do? We do a bit of like a soul biking, um, running around. We play Monday Night Touch with um, a load of Aki's guys down in, in Re- at the Rayburn, which is good. And I uh, try and get better at golf. But for some reason, the more I play, the worse I get. So that's been frustrating. I can't imagine you having the patience for golf. Oh, I don't. I don't, Bruce. I, I try and you know what the, the problem with golf and and like anyone i tell you that plays a lot of golf the times it goes well it's such an amazing sport but then you automatically think you're good at things and i think as an ex-sportsman having always been good at sports you know you then think well i've nailed it i'm awesome and then the next time you play and you literally lose nine balls and you know i've been wanting to throw my set in the lake at one point i was like, this whole thing's going the water is going I didn't care. It was new. I was. I'm going to break this one over my knee, and I'm going to chuck the whole thing in the water. And luckily, <laughs> then, then stop me. But um, no, it can be uh, it can be frustrating. Do you miss rugby? No, not playing it. I. Um, if I look at rugby now, and I see people, especially wingers, get smashed on short lines, I think God, I don't miss that at all. <laughs> um, but uh, I actually, it, it's quite funny because when I was playing, I never watched rugby. I hated watching rugby because I was doing it all day long. Um, but now that I've finished, I've kind of turned back into a rugby fan again. So I love going uh, to Murrayfield and and seeing Scotland play when that was still possible. Uh, and now that the the Edinburgh Stadium has been built, um, that's obviously really excited. I can't wait to to go um, to go down there. Um, and you know, I would have loved to go to to the Quins final uh, this weekend, obviously as well.
0: So do you keep in touch with the boys at Quins?
2: Yeah, I do. I'm still in a couple of WhatsApp groups with with a majority of the boys. Um, One's aptly named Ibiza. One's called Wine Club, uh, and there's another one called James and James, which has got James Hall and uh, Jamie Roberts in it. Um, so yeah, I speak to them, I speak to them actually really regularly. There's a tight group of friends from there. You know, Chris Robshaw and uh, Danny uh, Danny Care, uh, James Hall, or Jamie Roberts, uh, Ben Tapuai. He actually just leaving now at the end of the season. Um, and we all, you know, still keep in touch, uh, you know, and I think we probably will do for uh, for the next part of our, our lives. And James will always just moved back to Australia, so that's complicated things slightly. Jamie is back in Wales, but he's up here this weekend for um, the Lions game, so I'll see him. Uh, and then I've gone to see a load of them a couple of weeks ago when I was down in uh, when I was down in London for um, for some work. So uh, it's. Uh, no, we, yeah, we keep in touch, definitely.
0: And Chris Robshaw's got another sore one at the weekend.
2: Yeah, I spoke to him. He's pretty gutted. I think they've got three games left. Uh, he obviously got, I think he got injured in the first game over there because he's yeah. at San Diego and uh, popped his shoulder out, which I don't think he's ever done before as far as I know. Um, and then obviously got back for the last couple of games and then yeah, done it again. So... I think he's now um gonna rehab, then come back for a couple of months and then he's going back out there because he's got another um, he's got another year with him.
0: Looks like life's good and now he's a dad.
2: I know, I saw him at the at the baseball the other day. Didn't look like the worst place to be. All <laughs> I can see is I think I think he was going over to San Diego um obviously for preseason and then it turned out that because of COVID, they based them all in Las Vegas, so he did the first couple of months in, in Vegas. I mean, just mad. And then um, he's now in, in San Diego. Uh, he's been up to LA and, and San Fan and God knows where else he's been. But um, as far as I can see, restrictions are a lot lighter in uh, in the west coast of America than they are here. And uh, yeah, they've been having a lot of beach fun, which we haven't in Edinburgh.
0: <laughs> so is the is the WhatsApp chat? any of the boys fishing for a for a gig in the states
2: yeah i think there's been a, there's been a bit of that from Danny Kerr. i saw um i saw he had a bit of a flirt with uh, one of the um, mlr teams on on twitch i don't know which one it was and i saw um marler had something similar there was a bit of a joke going around but yeah, I mean, I think from, from hearing from the boys that are out there, it, it's actually really good fun. I think, um, you know, they're playing free-flowing rugby. Um, there, there is actually quite a lot of good players out there. So the standard's pretty decent. Um, and, you know, you get to live in places like San Diego, uh, you know, LA, New York, Boston. So pretty uh, pretty cool stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think would I have wanted to do it after rugby? I think if it was in the place that it was in now a couple of years ago, yeah, I would have definitely given it a, a good thought. You know, do six months out in America for a bit of crack with the family. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so quids
2: this weekend.
0: You're saying you wish you were there. I think it's only 10,000 yeah. in an 80,000-seater stadium. So oh, it's going to be right. a bit weird. But uh, they were, so, I mean, what a comeback. Just ridiculous oh. comeback.
2: I mean, I was watching it. And I was actually chatting to Mike Brown via text message, who was sitting in the stadium. uh, And they went twenty-eight nil down. And I said, "Oh well, this is that that, thats it. Basically, put to bed now." And he sent me like you know, like the 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 eyes, the the ones where you're like, "Mm, I don't know, you know, kind of maybe. And um, then they scored before half time. The which turned to twenty-eight five, and I and I thought to myself, you know, they'll have to they'll have to really come out out of the blocks in the in the second half score first to be in with a shout and and they did uh and then you know they took it they took it to uh to the wire to extra time and and then scored in the at the end of that first uh period of, of second half and um I thought it it kind of showed how fit Quins were. You know, you saw Joe Marler played a hundred minutes of rugby for a for a prop that's that, you know that can't feel good. Um but on the other flip side of that, I thought it was really interesting what was going on at Bristol because you saw a couple of changes coming through at Quinns and boys making really positive impacts. But the, the the Bristol hooker, I think it was Thacker, was literally almost walking sideways. He was so stiff. Couldn't even get to a scrum at one point and they were refusing to take him off. I don't know who was on the bench there, but someone was not getting a lot of... Uh, the, the bench at, at Bristol weren't giving a lot of confidence, I thought. And uh, yeah, it was a shame to see but great great for Quins.
0: <laughs> have you ever been part of that where a half time changing room has completely changed things uh
2: yeah i think I, oh, oh yeah of course i think any player will have been um but always in in different ways coaches do it in different ways i think um you know lamb uh, obviously said a couple of weeks ago i think that when they came to Quinn's, he said ah oh, you guys if you guys don't want this just jump hop on the bus and we'll go home kind of thing and that sparked the reaction and Bristol were better in the second half but you know i've had it in all sorts of different ways um you know vern cotter just just going through us like properly and the thing with vernal is was he, he would he talked really quietly which kind of you know he almost almost whispered sometimes which made everyone listen it was obviously some sort of thing he did and he started i think it was against It was against the usa in the world cup and we were um we'd squandered a couple of try scoring opportunities and um at half time he he started by whispering and then literally out of nowhere he just erupted and started going through us badly and it got a good reaction because we put him to bed straight after the straight after the um the break but uh yeah can be really interesting
0: so what what happened with quins have you got any insight did brownie give you any insight what happened was it, no, quiet whisper? I, I was it...
2: um I, I mean i think they just kind of said well listen this is uh, this is it you know like we either roll over and and it's going to be a big old tennis score or um, sorry a cricket score or um or we 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 go for it we give it all we've got kind of thing and then uh, we see where we can get and and we try and get ourselves to our first final and Got now is what 10 years, seven, eight, seven, ten years on how long it is. I think it's 2012 and they won it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll whatever happened in there obviously didn't trick.
0: So, who who do you look at and think I wish I was playing with them? Are there any of the players that excite you?
2: Uh, uh Quinn's, yeah, uh. I mean, still Danny Kerr, you know, still running the show, really. Uh, Marcus Smith having stepped up so much, since, even since I left. He was already well-established at that point. He's just getting better and better and making better decisions on the ball. Um, I mean, who else? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good players in that team. You know, that that little nippy uh, 15 green is just... He ran about 168 metres on the weekend, which, uh, which again, is... It's crazy, and and even crazier that he probably wouldn't have played if Brown wasn't uh, suspended.
0: And the coaching team at Quinns is pretty special now.
2: Yeah, I think uh, you know the funny one with with Millard coming in as um, as general manager at the time. He he was obviously a bit of a Scott Johnson figure, or that's how I saw it. You know, very 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 Australian, um, but you know, good. Re- I thought he was a really good guy, um, but he wouldn't really. Uh, do anything day to day with the team. He was just there behind the scenes to make sure everything was getting sorted a bit like Scott did as, as technical director at the SIU and now at Australia, I guess. Um, but with Gustard uh, you know getting the boot, uh, there was obviously a need for him to step in and I guess it just shows how good of a coach he is. You know he's got a, he's got a real good relationship with the team, I think. Um, you know the way that they've been enlightened to play. Uh, I also think Nick Evans has probably got more freedom since Gus Hart has left and, and is able to put a bit more of his mark on the on the team. And if you see some of the, the free-flowing rugby they're playing, that that's really working out. Um, and I think it's probably like that for the majority of the coach. I think Bomb Bomb is obviously doing a good job with the scrum uh, and Flannery is running the line-out uh, pretty well because I think their their percentage in the line out was one of the highest uh, in the premiership at that point. So it's just all kind of clicking. It's just it's a real shame that it happened after Gustard left because he was, in my opinion, actually quite a good coach.
0: So, do you think they can win it on Saturday? Do you think it's it's realistic?
2: <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I would like. Obviously, I would like to think so because I would love for them to win it. I think it'd be absolutely brilliant, you know, where they've come from this season to push their way into a final with a, an extension in the semi and, and whatever else went on in that. Um, but I think I'm worried that that semi-final is going to play its role in the final. You know, we've, we've seen Marla play a uh, hundred minutes after flying over to the game in a helicopter because his fourth kid was born like 20 minutes before kickoff or something like that. Um, you know, we've, we've seen not that many changes. Smiths played a hundred uh, minutes, uh, cat care, I think came off with 10 or 15 to go, something like that. Um, so I'm worried that Quinns have had a much harder semi-final than Exeter have had. Um, and I also think Exeter is a completely different opposition compared to Bristol. Bristol weren't that good in defense. Exeter are very polished in defense. They're a very good ball in hand, but they can also do the dirty work that, you know, the likes of Saracens and, um, Leicester would have been good in traditionally you know close to the line they start picking and going and they can finish stuff like that but then suddenly it zips out and they're dangerous out wide as well um so I think they're a bit of a complete team so you know do I think it's realistic that Quinns are going to win probably not but then it also completely suits Quinns because it's just a one-off game it's cup rugby they can throw everything at it and and we've seen that when they do they can come back from 28 nil down which you know, shows how good they can be born and
0: how much do you and your ex-pro mates discuss referees because on saturday chiefs could get a red card in the first minute for a high tackle and all of a sudden the ball is in quinn's court is that is that a topic of conversation
2: uh yeah as and when it happens um there was a lot of swearing going on during the six nations i think um it's just tricky because i think as a, an ex rugby player you know how things happen on the pitch and, and that we almost instantly know whether there was intent in something or whether there wasn't and i think i think spectators can can see that up to a certain amount um and i think referees can see it as well but i think referees hands are tied nowadays it's it's become a complete legal tussle between what a referee sees on the pitch and what he's been told to do by world rugby and you know we saw it during the world cup in japan where they cracked down on um uh players in the air right so suddenly you could see that two players were competing for the ball or something clumsy happened someone got pushed into someone else whatever you know just clumsy stuff like happens in rugby you know rugby is a physical sport and suddenly we're seeing red cards going in left right and center then in the six nations We see uh, Xander Ferguson come in, in my opinion, in a great position. He's going full steam. He's got a good low-body position, and he absolutely whacks the guy that's trying to to steal the ball. Um, The guy from Wales is getting pulled up at the last minute by someone else. Um, Ferguson hits him in the head or scamps him in the head, whatever. Um, We all know, we cannot see that that's legal. He's gone in, like, you know, if you coach a rugby player, how do you clear a ruck? Well, if you're 120 kilos, you run as hard as you can. You get a good low body position. You smack whoever's over the ball. That's how it works, right? Especially when you're trying to clear out another player that's 120 kilos. You can't expect someone of that size and speed to be able to adjust his body position away from someone's head that's suddenly been moved up or down at the last minute. That that's just not realistic. That's not rugby. But contact to the head is a red card. Uh, and I think the, the power for referees to make that informed decision on the pitch has kind of been taken away. Um, And I I just think that's a real shame because I think, especially at the top level, referees know what's what's happening.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: They know what's intent and what's not intent, and, and it's just ruining the game because, you know, you saw it with Wales and the Six Nations. They suddenly, they went from, you know, being the least expected to win the thing to two or three red cards further, and they're top of the league. You know, it's, it's just silly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, by the way, it gets me fired up. Um, yeah, no, I, I can, can talk see about that for a while.
0: Well, then the next bit to that is the bans. I see is one of the Scotland under-20s has picked up a three-match ban for getting a red card against Ireland, and that's his World Cup over. And you think, is that the best punishment for a 20-year-old kid to miss on that chance? But yeah. anyway, that's that's a whole other issue. So, Quinn, sounds like it, it meant a lot to you. How does that happen in pro sport? Surely that's just your employer and you're an employee and you do as you're told. But it sounds like there's a big sense of belonging to Quinn's.
2: Yeah, but there is to Edinburgh as well. I think um I think yes, rugby's a sport. It's it's a it's a job, sorry. Uh and you know, we get paid sometimes a lot of money to play somewhere and that's how affiliations start, you know. In the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you and your family. It's a short career, blah blah blah, blah blah. <laughs> yeah. But um once you get somewhere, you know, you know whether you like it, you know whether you like the people and whether you're having a good time or not. And you know, I obviously had a great time at Edinburgh for a number of reasons uh, but when I came to Quinn's um, I just really clicked as well I think the players that were there you know I arrived at the same time as James Hall and Jamie Roberts so that kind of created a bond um, but we fitted in really well with uh, the way uh, Quinn's wanted to play and their ethos at the time uh, but there was also just a really good group of guys you know I think uh, all the way from established internationals to academy boys um, everyone was just really easy going um, there was no real sniping. There, there wasn't any looking up or down or, or anything like that. So uh, everyone was just just really enjoying themselves for the, uh, the majority of the time.
0: How does it come about then? You're playing at Edinburgh, uh, international rugby player. How do you end up at Harlequins?
2: Well, nowadays, everyone's got agents that rummage around and, and find the best club for you, I guess. Um, I was at Edinburgh. I'd just come out of a, a long three-and-a-half, four-year contract. Um, I was playing under Solomons, who had decided that Edinburgh should not be playing rugby anymore, but should just be kicking it away the majority of the time. So I was standing on the wing, you know, not doing a whole lot, just chasing kicks. Um, so I thought it was time for a change. Uh, and yeah, I mean, your agent starts looking around, which clubs are looking for wingers, starts speaking to them. And um, yeah, Queen's were interested. So I flew down to Heathrow, met Connor O'Shea. Had a great conversation with him. Uh, you know, felt like what they were trying to do would suit my style of play. Uh, and yeah, that's 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 basically what happened. Um, and before you know it, you're you're in a World Cup with Scotland, and then afterwards, moving straight into uh, into Surrey.
0: And Quinns is a and and the teams in the English Premiership are clubs they've got a home that they or most of them have got a home that they've had for a while they've got a fan base where people's dads and mums and grandfathers and grandmothers were supporters so there's a there's a real loyalty what's the atmosphere like there
2: yeah it's I think I didn't realize how big the brand Harlequins was until I got down there you know they've the, the place is sold out every game. It's always full. You know whether you're playing in a European Challenge Cup against a Romanian team or whether you're playing against Saris on a Friday night. It, it's always rammed. Um, the support is is incredible. Um, you know we were filling we were filling Twickenham Stadium for our big games on Boxing Day. So uh, that kind of shows you know having eighty seven thousand people there for for a club game is is immense. But but also um, you know everywhere we went. Because we were doing preseason tours uh, all the way from Germany to San Francisco um, and Amsterdam at one point, actually. But there's there's always people. I may have played a part in that. Um, there's always people wearing Quins shirts wherever you go, uh, and I think you don't realize how big of a, a traditional name in in rugby Quins is. It's a bit like you know, like Leicester and um bath um uh, but it is it it is so much bigger than you could imagine from being in the rugby bubble up here in scotland um and then with that comes the fact that some of these clubs are um so well established they've got such good training grounds such good facilities and, and you know to be blunt about it so much money that um everything is so incredibly well arranged now luckily i was obviously used to that having been part of the scotland setup for a number of years but a lot of these Premiership clubs are very similar in setup to what a Scotland rugby camp would be in terms of staff and facilities and whatever else. So you're extremely well taken care of.
0: So how do you how do you treat a game at a capacity Twickenham when you could have been up at Kingston Park on a Friday night playing against the Falcons? <laughs> do you prepare differently, or is it just another game?
2: Um, I think I think you try to pretend that it's just another game but i think when games get hard and are we picking that up or not no no um when games get tough they really want you there when when games get tough it's um it's the fans that that help you you know if there's a long kick and it's raining uh, and you're chasing it and and the fans start roaring that does give you a little bit of extra. Um and I think the biggest example of that has been you know more recently where they're not being allowed any crowds in stadiums and you've still seen some teams perform and some not. Uh, it kind of shows that some players need that. Um but other players and other good teams can also kind of generate that from within. Um but yeah, you know going Going to Newcastle uh, on a Friday night uh, around Christmas time it isn't as easy as playing uh, playing at Twickenham in front of ninety two thousand people. So um, it's uh, yeah, it's different. But I think the good teams manage that better than the poor teams.
0: Where where did Quinns get the toughest reception for an away game? Where was especially as a winger, you must hear a lot
2: of chat. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, I mean, over the years, I've had some horrific stuff because uh, you're obviously so close to the crowd. What was bad, the shed at Gloucester is pretty special. Some of the stuff that gets that gets thrown towards you from the crowd there is just outright brutal. Um, you know, you get called poor man, Sean Lamont or whatever, you know, <laughs> N- name it. I just made that up. but um, <clears throat> And obviously the donkey noises are always good crack. Um, I once I once got a got a pass, a really slow pass out of the back of uh, another runner, and I caught it uh, near the shed, and their winger got called I think he's called Davy, Davy something like that, some some Tongan monster just completely spotted me and absolutely smoked me and, and on the floor, I managed to get the ball back to my side. They um, they turned it over. And literally it was one of those moments where everyone goes, oh, and I'm lying there on my back and I've been literally emptied. And I'm I'm trying to get up and I've been banged so hard that I'm bong-eyed. So I so so I can't see straight. I don't know if you've ever been hit so hard that you can't see straight, but, but my one of my eyes is looking that way and the other one is like blurry, so I can't see, I can't see anything. And in my head, I'm like, right just get up, walk off and pretend nothing's happened. And I'm walking off and I've walked straight into like Chris Robshaw or something like that, like head on head, I'm like, sorry, sorry. and I'm walking the other way pretending to be normal and literally I stood on the wing and the game was about to resume. And I remember saying to the physio, I was like, I can't see. And he's like, what do you mean? And I went, I can't see anything. He's like, well go down on one knee then because they're about to start again. And I was like, no, I was like, no. So I didn't know what to do. And literally, luckily something else happened. The scrum didn't restart. But after about a minute, literally my eyes started going mm, and kind of went back straight. And honestly, I was I've never been that bad. Um, but yeah, obviously some of the some of the rubbish coming out of the shed wasn't didn't help me at that point.
0: <laughs> where did you like going to play? Where where was where was I good for bath.
2: you? I always liked bath. Um I don't know, for some reason, I always played well there. I think we always had good weather there. We were playing a Saturday at the Rec, always good weather. And um, I used to score uh, for something. Like, there's always stadiums where I think you score tries and then that becomes a nice place to go as a winger. So then you start scoring more tries. Um, so, so the Bath was always one for me. Um, where else did I like? Uh, when I was at Edinburgh, I used to love um, the Cardiff um, City Stadium when they played there. 'Cause the the grass was amazing, the, the stadium was perfect, you know, no wind. Um very similar with the Ospreys one, you know, the, the Welsh football stadiums that they started using, I always quite liked. Um But what did I not like? We played Soham and Park once, and I know it's meant to be amazing, but it literally looked like they'd had the, the sheep on it for two weeks previously. There was just holes everywhere, it's brutal. Um but there's obviously some amazing places that that we've been to. I've, I mean, the most amazing place still, I think, I've ever played rugby is, is the Stade de France. It's just so huge, and it is so noisy. Um, I think after after Murrayfield, that would have that was probably my favorite place to play.
0: And when you were playing for Scotland, coming from Holland, was the was the whole of Holland supporting Scotland? whole
2: of Holland was in Murrayfield. No, it was. You know, it was actually quite extraordinary because by the time I started playing for Scotland, a lot of people had caught on to the fact that I was playing professionally in in Edinburgh. Um, So we started getting, you know, school trips and um, rugby trips to Holland. So every home game, there would always be, you know, 30, 40 (coughs) Dutch supporters, which was amazing. Um, And then I remember I, I made my debut against Fiji over in Fiji, which was, you know, the middle of the night over here. So no one were really picked up on that. But, my home debut was against the All Blacks, and I remember driving into the stadium um, as the bus always does. And I looked out the window, and there was literally about a hundred Dutch people, all in full orange with like flags and stuff, which was uh, which was quite amazing. But yeah, there would always be a lot of Dutch people at the international games, you know, Six Nations games, and autumn internationals, because it, it's such a short flight and. Um, there is no professional rugby in Holland, so it's such a, an easy opportunity for them to catch top-flight rugby.
0: So, how did you get started in rugby?
2: Yeah, my dad always played, so I, I grew up around our local rugby club. Uh, my dad played, both my uncles from both sides of the family played. So, I, I think I was I was always going to play um, going to play rugby, but rugby was um, in the nearest town, which was about half an hour away from where I lived. And my mum always played netball when she was younger, and netball in Holland is it's called korfball. It's a it's a mixed sport, and um, we uh, my mum I think when I was sort of like six years old, five or six, she's like, oh, just go and play korfball because it's in it's in the village. You can just go to training on your bike and stuff." So I oh, was fine, yeah, you know, I didn't care. I went to go and play korfball, and I think within maybe a year or two, they figured out that. Corporal probably wasn't the sport for me because I was bumping people around and running into people and all kind of stuff. And then my little brother Sep also joined the golf the golf ball club. And I think in one of his first games, some girl ran past him. He grabbed her by the ponytail and yanked her back, and that was him off the golf ball club essentially. So at that point, they went right. I think it's time for you guys to start playing rugby. So I started playing rugby when I was I um, think eight eight, and and Sep would have been. 455 five probably. Um so yeah I've al- I've always played it and you know like rugby is over here um very tight-knit world you know everyone all your friends and family are around the rugby club so um we very quickly fitted in.
0: And then you come to UK with the intention of being a rugby player.
2: I, I did actually. I-, I was quite fortunate that I got scouted by Newcastle when I played Amsterdam 7 so there's a guy called John Fletcher who um at the time, was academy manager at Newcastle, and he um, he had heard about me through a guy called Joe Shaw, who nowadays is actually the Sarries um, yep. head coach, a uh, really good guy. Uh, and Joe was on a jolly at Amsterdam Seven, saw me play there as a sixteen-year-old, and he said, "I think you should, um, I think you should come and try rugby in the UK." Um, and uh, John gave me a trial with Newcastle after which I got offered a place at Barnacastle School. So I did uh, did my A-levels at Barna Castle, and then joined Newcastle basically full-time after that. So, yeah, I, w- I was quite lucky in that I, I came straight over to be uh, to be a rugby player, which was alien to me because, you know, I'd seen Johnny Wilkinson kick that um, World Cup-winning uh, drop goal. And I think four year four. Months later, I was on a practice pitch with him at Newcastle, and I remember asking, <clears throat> "I am asking John, does what does he do? Like, when does he work? When does he go to work?" He's like, "No, no, this is Johnny's work. You're like, these guys don't have a job. Like, they're professional rugby players." So I was like, "Oh, I was like, wow, that's that sounds amazing." <laughs> um, it was just really alien to to me, and um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's kind of how it how it flowed, and then after. Five years with Newcastle. I uh, Andy Robinson signed me for Edinburgh, and then immediately moved on as Scotland coach. Andy never coached me at Edinburgh. Um, Rob Moffat did, which again, amazing coach, probably one of my best coaches. Just like John Fletcher was, very hands-on with uh, with the players, great guy. And um, then uh, a variety of coaches at Edinburgh, none of none of which were very good in my opinion. Um, but uh, yeah. Andy gave me my uh, gave me my first uh, cap for for Scotland, and my second, third, and then after my fourth, when he got beaten by Tonga up in Aberdeen, Aberdeen, I think it was. That was one yeah. of the darkest days of my life. He um, sadly got fired, and then uh, Scott Johnson took over, who I still think is one of the greatest guys. And I know not not he's not everyone's flavor, but uh, I really got on with him. Although that's maybe because I couldn't understand half of every sentence he said
0: (laughs) and you loved scoring tries were you always a winger
2: no um i when i was younger i was like a 10 12 13 ish and then i came to newcastle and i think john had one look at me and i was kind of still quite a i was a lot younger than everyone else so i was playing in the academy you know that goes up to sort of 20 and um i was only 16 17. So I was still a little bit slow, and he's like, "No, I think you're more of a flanker." So he stuck me in the he stuck me in the back row, <clears throat> which during scrum time in moles I absolutely hated. Uh, but apart from that, I would just stand next to the centre, so that kind of worked out a little bit. Um, but then my first week uh, being full time with Newcastle, there were a couple of injuries uh, on the wing, and they kind of looked around the room and they were like, "Right, who else is?" You know relatively quick and they kind of looked at me and they're like right you're you're on the bench for the wing uh and i made my debut against worcester scored the winning try so like however amazing that is as an 18 year old you have no idea like playing in a packed out kingston park winning uh, winning the game literally in the last second scoring the winning try and then walking in in a bar in, walking into a bar in jasmine and literally you have no idea what that feels like it was, i don't think i paid for a drink all night um, which was kind of where it went wrong for me a couple of years <laughs> later. <laughs> but um, no, uh, I, I think I scored in my first three games and that kind of cemented as me suddenly being a, being a winger and I was more than happy not having to do scrum training anymore. So um, yeah, that that saved me from, from being a forward, I think.
0: Awesome. I love it. Well, I know we're against the clock because your kids are about to come charging in the room yeah,
2: yeah, to I say... <laughs> Yeah, I'm done for as soon as daddy, I come in. I'm done for
0: daddy, daddy, daddy. So, this love speaking to you. Great to see you're looking well, even though you look like you're fading away. So, prediction on Saturday, Quinns for the win. No,
2: yeah, well, I'm gonna have to say that, of course. Uh, I mean, I think realistically, extra are the favorites, but yeah, I'm gonna back quins the whole way.
0: Nice and Lions against South Africa.
2: Oh, uh. uh... I actually think they've got a really good chance. I think um, you know a lot of those South African players haven't played a whole lot of rugby. Uh, the boys here have got a pretty decent season under their belt. It's a very good team. Um, you know, as always with South Africa, it's going to be there's going to be one up front somewhere. So um, if we can get a good platform, then the backs can can be really really lethal. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing big big duan obviously, uh, and and Hamish Watson. Uh, for me, they're they're big two to watch, just because I know them, I guess. Ha, your mates. Love yeah.
0: it. first thank right. you, sir. Great to see you. Enjoy the weekend.
2: Thanks for having me, mate. Bye-bye.
0: Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Love speaking to Tim Visser. As I said, mad as a box of frogs. Lots of stories to tell. Tries he's scored, places he's been, and he keeps doing it all with a smile on his face. Looking forward to seeing him in person. Well, his happiness, I think, is egg-shaped. It sounds like Quinn's made quite an impression on him. It'll be interesting to see how the weekend unfolds after that unbelievable comeback against the Bears in lots and lots of minutes. And Joe Marler must have had the week off to prepare for the final. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Tim. I certainly enjoyed speaking to him. You can catch us on Acast, on Spotify, and on Apple. Tune in, give us a subscribe, give us a review, tell your friends, share and tag and do all those things. You can also watch the video on Facebook and YouTube, and hopefully we'll see you again because we have got some more fantastic guests. And stay tuned because we have... An enormous announcement coming very, very soon. I am on the edge of peeing my pants excited. I cannot wait for the summer to unfold. My name is Bruce H. I and my happiness is egg-shaped, and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Stay safe. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our me- happiness day. is egg-shaped.
2: Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. I was talking about this last night and he said, happiness is egg-shaped. Great, hey, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end.